Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today we have a really special treat. Because for the first time ever, we have a film and TV producer, also a video effects producer person, and that is Zach Hamilton. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Very excited to have you. And I'm excited because you're the first guest of your type ever. Ever, ever. In the history of podcasts. That sounds much more epic. I think it might be this podcast, but we'll go with all podcasts because it sounds intense. Our podcast has its own history, and that's the history that really matters to us right now, so... Making history. Yeah. We always start off with an origin story. Short or long version, how on earth did you get to where you are today? As in getting into the producing stuff, visual effects stuff. How did you get into all that? Well, I was once born. No, I'm kidding. We won't go that far back. Right out of high school was an EMT very briefly. And then I had a brief stint as a owner of a cupcake business that specialized in alcohol-infused cupcakes. And I cannot tell you how many people now in my day-to-day, they're like, just give me the recipes. I'll make you a part owner. I'll give you percentage man like i don't know why you're not doing this because no one's doing it and we were super successful it honestly helped pay for my college but i just didn't envision myself as a cupcake guy so i decided you know what i'm too successful at this i need to find something even more stable like the film industry and so uh yeah my parents love that and my mom was my business partner by the way too so that was even better she got a great job she's a hospital director in california she's doing great but yeah so i got into film and i initially went to arizona state university and their film program and i had an associate's degree but still somehow ended up having a three-year program there. And I'm like, this is insane. My student loans are going to be wild. And I was listening to a podcast and I heard Kevin Smith mention Dave School, the digital animation and visual effects school out of Orlando, Florida. And it sounded awesome. They're like, yeah, it's on the Universal Studios backlot. You're literally where movies are being made. And then you make movies and it's only one year and then you're in the business. I'm like, that sounds way better than what I'm doing. And it's only one year. And so I did it. I took the leap. I remember I told my dad I'm going to the Dave School. He's like, you're not going to a school named after someone's first name what kind of school is this so i went and it was great and i definitely panicked towards the end i'm like oh my god i'm not gonna get a job this is insane and then two months out of graduation i i got a job at mpc vancouver yeah i'm in florida and i got a job in vancouver british columbia that's a trek i'm like well i got the job now i gotta get there fun fact i was actually briefly homeless after i got the job they changed our student housing and so at one point i'm like sleeping in my car i had this amazing job waiting for me and i'm on the phone with my mother and i'm like yeah i got this really great job but i'm sleeping in my car my mom's like oh my baby's sleeping in a car and then her co-workers are like why do you sleep he's homeless i'm like i have a job i just had to make it till november and then i have a job everything's gonna be fine so that was great so <laughs> a journey not fret with uh obstacles for sure but yeah i got a job as an artist so i was a visual effects artist visual effects being anything that we add to a film digitally so you have your special effects which would be like an explosion that they actually set off on set and they film it on camera Whereas visual effects could be that same explosion, but they don't have the budget or the time to do it practically on set. So then after they film the scene, we add it digitally. So that would be a visual effect. That's the difference there. Often mixed up for sure but that's kind of in essence a visual effect so i did that for a year and then the contracts were brutal they were like two weeks two months three months very short very unstable at the time i was young i would have been probably like 24 or 25 and i was able to move around and do that because i was single and young and stupid and then i realized yeah you know producer seems like they got it better i hate saying this because like i'm a producer now and i'm sure people are gonna listen to this be like wait what you got into this for i got into it for good reasons i promise my heart was in it but i realized 
realized that like the VFX supervisor is like, I've been doing this for 15 years, man. And I'm like, oh my God, you work more hours than I do. And I'm here like 90 hours a week. So that's not what I want to do in 15 years. <laughs> and then the producer was like making the same money but only working 60 hours a week. I'm like, well, I'm starting to think maybe I need to switch things up a little bit. And I had some exposure doing some production type stuff on Justice League with the stereo packaging team. And they wanted me to coordinate and kind of help manage the workflow of what we were doing, as well as some of the newer artists that we were bringing on. And so I'm like, hey, I'm actually good at this. And so I kind of asked around, met with a couple of producers. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be a producer, but you need a bachelor's degree for that. Often, not always. As an artist, you don't need a degree. In production, it's a little bit more business minded. And so I got my bachelor's in six months this is a long story we went with the long version I'm, i hope it's entertaining i believe that it is the school that i got my certificate through the dave school offered me an online option for six months at fifteen hundred dollars i could have a bachelor's degree i'm like who says no to that so definitely did that couldn't get work and i definitely second guessed my decision i'm like oh my god i cooled off i can't get work what's happening i ended up as a hospital security guard for like three months between school and trying to get back into work into production and i'm telling you you want stories be a hospital security officer because my god people are crazy but yeah i finally got in wasn't exactly film and television it was themed entertainment so we did ride film when you go to like harry potter at universal they've got the screen and it looks like it's part of the ride but it's digital and all that but that's what we would do and some other museum type stuff for national geographic that was again virtual reality based so that was really cool but not what i wanted and then my job was eliminated which is brutal and very unexpected and so i got forced into a corner and within a week i got an offer in la mind you i forgot to mention i got my job in production in orlando so i ended up back in florida from canada so i'm just moving all over and uh and then i get this job in la and i'm like great i got a job but now i gotta move again i mean it's expensive to move i'm used to it at this point you'd think i get discounts at these places i don't and then literally a week later i packed up most of my things moved to la LA, and now I'm living in one of the most expensive places ever. Finally making decent money, though, as a coordinator. And then, yeah, I just slowly worked my way up. And in the last three and a half years, I went from coordinator to producer. So now my official title is VFX producer on the current film that I'm on. It's been a journey. Oh, my goodness. So many follow questions. First of all, who has the life rights to your story? Oh, my God. I know. I need a, I'm a screenwriter on my downtime. I just got to write it. The story of me. We'll see if it sells. Visual effects is way cool. I like the rock stars of computer guys. Tattoos and beards and drinking. You call yourself the uh, rock stars or they just want to admit that you're the rock stars? I would say the FX guys definitely always think that they're the rock stars because they're the guys that are always blowing stuff up. They're like, dude, all I do every day is explosions and like tornadoes and hurricanes and i'm like an act of god digitally fair enough that is a pretty cool job i can't really argue that i have to concur with that one what's like it cgi stuff like that has anything to do with you or that's something considered separate yeah cgi is computer generated images i hope i got that right because anyone who is in my industry like it's actually imagery basically anything that's generate an image is generated from a computer obviously we use a lot of various softwares my job now is no longer as an artist so my job is managing the artist alongside the vfx supervisor and really the client facing side of it and wrangling the client making sure that what they want is being done and is attainable within reason obviously looking out for my own team of artists that are trying to facilitate what they want so it's a little bit different but we do it all so i'm managing fx artists lighting artists modelers modelers would be people that are actually making a building or making a car texture artists that are actually making it look like a car as far as like the color the reflections all that riggers animators the whole pipeline it's all head of the snake unfortunately good and bad but it's fun people start trashing the cgi on a film or something like that what do you feel about that oh my god it's tough my significant other brother-in-law his brother i met him for the first time and all he did was trash every movie i worked on i'm like i don't like this guy i appreciate his honesty but man dial it back this is like the sixth movie that you're trashing i mean what do you got against clint eastwood he's amazing 
That was like my pride and joy, by the way, to get to work on a Clint Eastwood movie was so awesome. Big moment. And then it wasn't until like halfway into production that I realized that I was working with Al Ruddy, who now is even more prominent because of the show The Offer on Paramount, which is all about the making of The Godfather. He's the producer that that show's based off of his experiences on that. I'm like, oh my God, I worked with Al Ruddy, the producer of The Godfather. I've made it. And Clint Eastwood. I'm done. I'm ready. Hang up. Retire early. Time to move back to Canada or something. I loved it there. I really did. It was beautiful. Vancouver is like the cleanest city I've ever lived in. It's, you would think it wouldn't be being a city, but you can see all the mountains. Beautiful. They take the recycling very seriously. There was like seven different bins for the recycling. You have to literally read a chart. Like, did I recycle correctly? I don't know. This is a can. This is a soup can. Oh, that's different than this kind of can. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just a, a general question. Are you allowed to talk about the stuff that you work on or is it everything has to be under wraps and NDAs? Yeah, I could talk about certain things. It's usually stuff that's kind of already aired. Usually it's kind of the safe zone stuff that's currently airing or had just recently aired is usually a little bit tough to talk about but like star trek picard season one i could talk about stuff like that which to that point to lead into that that was my first official tv show assignment in production once i moved from themed entertainment to that job in la literally the end of the week they're like hey you got this show you're gonna be the one running it with the producer it's just you and the producer you're dealing with the client you're dealing with all the artists i'm like cool what's it called and i had a code name that i won't disclose and i'm like what is this a poker show no idea what i'm getting into at all cool sounds good it's probably some little indie you know you guys are starting me off nice and slow i love it you know i appreciate that guys 1200 shot show massive and to describe what a shot is a lot of people understand but just for those that don't when you're watching a film let's do a dialogue scene you're talking over dinner and the camera's looking at one actor and then it cuts and it looks at the other actor who's talking then it cuts and looks every time it's cutting that's a shot so that actual shot and then it cuts to another shot so that's a shot 12 100 shots roughly 1200 it was probably like 1136 that was the amount of shots that we had for star trek picard season one it was a monster of a show we were establishing looks that were then being used by other departments or other studios it was nuts and then it's also star trek and it's also picard the first season so you've got patrick stewart coming back trying to keep that on the down low it was just a really wild and fun show i wasn't even a star trek fan i've been forced to be a star trek fan because i've had to research it so heavily in researching it i love star trek So for those listeners that are Star Trek fans, I do actually genuinely love the show now, but I was a Star Wars boy and I would kill to be on a Star Wars show. Real talk. Or Star Trek. I love Star Trek, but it's been a huge part of my life. I've worked on both season one and two of Picard, as well as Strange New Worlds, which is really exciting because people are loving that show. So that was my most recent adventure into Star Trek. Just from a technical point of view, when you actually get the footage or whatever, are you working on almost every single scene that's going to be out there? Like, what kind of stuff do you actually do to it, aside from just adding in an explosion? What what can the job actually entail, as far as that goes? really depends on the studio. So the way that the system is set up is you've got the clients, which would be like your cbs your sony your marvel these are the actual film studios paramount apple netflix and then you've got all the vendors so the vfx vendors are like the vfx houses that are actually doing most of the work on average for any movie or tv show you have anywhere from two upwards to as high as eight different vfx vendors working on one project so it all gets divvied up among everybody that's a big part of my job as a producer is bidding the work so a lot of times we literally can get involved as early as the script phase so you'll get a script come across your desk like hey this is what 
overthinking for the show. Awesome. I'll take that. I'll run with it. I will crunch the numbers, tell them this is what it's going to cost to do this episode. And they're like, great. And then while I'm doing that, three or four other vendors are also bidding the exact same script. And then they're going to compare that. And they're not always going to go with the cheapest. They're going to go with people who are like, hey, these guys specialize in this kind of work. Let's maybe give these shots to these guys. These guys came in a little bit close to the other guys. Maybe we'll give them some shots. So it all starts to get divvied up. Ideally, you want to get more work, but you know, take what you can for your team. You don't want to overwork your team either. So that's where that happens. On the smaller budget films, like I would say like something like Little Things is a good example. I worked on Little Things, a Denzel Washington movie, Rami Malek and Jared Leto, fantastic film. There was a lot of production stuff. So they're wearing sunglasses as cool detectives do. But those sunglasses have reflections. They're driving cool old muscle cars with a bunch of chrome bumpers and chrome mirrors and chrome rear view mirrors and chrome everywhere. All have reflections. So now you're seeing the camera crew in those reflections, sunglasses, the bumpers, everything. There's little things like that, little things ironically. I didn't even plan that. That then have to get cleaned up. So there's that aspect of it. Your invisible visual effects of people just removing the camera crew. That was an interesting show too because it was also based in the 90s. And so the LA skyline was different too. So we had to remove certain buildings that didn't exist during the time that this was set in as well as certain aspects like just the freeway signage they didn't have the reflective paint back then they were actually lit up and illuminated by lights and they had a different shade of green so literally every freeway sign has to now get kind of retouched up look darker look like it's being illuminated so there's a lot of invisible effects that are happening that no one's gonna know obviously there's then the real visual effects and again i haven't worked on a marvel film but i will use like thanos as an example or rocket from guardians of the galaxy where it's a fully digital character and that's where you get a lot of scrutiny like it doesn't look that real well yeah because obviously raccoons don't walk around and talk so you've already put it in under a microscope very quickly there's obviously that aspect too but then it's also things like i think people don't think about this too is even commercials are like this when you see a television screen or a cell phone oftentimes the screen is completely black or it's a green screen and then we then have to add stuff from the editorial department in post and actually add like whatever's on there or they haven't even filmed it yet there's been shows i've worked on we're like oh there's gonna be all these security cameras and they're gonna have this feed and this feed and this feed. We're like cool and we're in pre-production they're like yeah guys we're not gonna be able to film that shot by the time that we're filming this like all the inserts so then they film that later give it to us and then we just add it in post so there's a lot of that too there's also beauty makeup it used to be a hush hush thing in the business where people didn't talk about it it's it still is somewhat hush-hush, but less so now because you're getting a lot more of these de-aging projects, right? Where, like, everyone knows. For instance, Robert Downey Jr., very famously in the Marvel movies, there's that famous de-age scene where he's young. Kurt Russell, that's a perfect one, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Obviously, he's not in his 30s, but it looks so good. You're like, I can believe it, though. So there's a lot of examples of that that's a little more mainstream, which is such a process, let me tell you. And there's some studios that that's what they specialize in, and they're experts, and they're wizards, and I don't know how they do it. It's fantastic. I've worked for some of them. Wow. You think that someone just takes a camera and films someone and then you edit it and now you have a movie. And it's no, that's not how it works. So you're considered post-production. So is the film edited by the time you see it? They haven't fully put it together. How much of the story do you actually see? They send you random shots like, hey, we need you to clean up X, Y, and Z on this. Figure it out. Really varies. A good example, The Cleaning Ladies. Fantastic show on Fox. That was a show that was really interesting and it just goes to show you the lengths of how far along you could be involved with the project. So that show came to us in script form as a pilot 
and we bid it out as a pilot. We got it. We were the only VFX house initially on that. I think we ended up being the only one, at least for the pilot. I know others got involved down the road. So they filmed the pilot. You've got the budget for the pilot. We do all the visual effects for it. And then now it goes and they're trying to get Fox to pick it up or whatever network to pick it up and green light it. So then there was like a little bit of a gap, about a month or so gap, and then it gets greenlit. And I'm like, cool. And they loved our work. So they came back to us, which you always want a client to be happy for these exact reasons. So they came back to us and then now we're going on the actual first season. So we literally went from like the script for the pilot, all the various iterations of that, to filming the pilot, having our guys on set for that, doing all the post-production for that, then now doing all of season one, which I did leave halfway in the middle of, but the team really just killed it in the end as well. Really just wrapped out that season fantastically. But yeah, like you could literally be on a show from the pilot all the way through the first season. It's it's crazy. Now, when you're getting footage sent to you, it could be, especially in episodics, they film stuff sometimes out of order. They're doing, okay, we've got episode one, we're editing episode one. All right, now we're working on episode two. Now you start getting some footage from episode one. This isn't now cleaning latest specific. This is just episodics in general. But say maybe there's a, a reshoot on episode three that they have to do for a certain sequence. Well, you know, we're gonna put episode three on the back burner, but we'll give you episode four. So now you're working out of order, but you're still getting everything and you're all trying to, as a producer, maintain that schedule so that everything gets done properly for the air dates. Sometimes it could still be shooting. A lot of times you'll also get marketing requests. So in the middle of working on actual shots for the show, but hey, there's this really cool shot from episode 15 and we want you to go ahead and just do that shot real quick because we want to put it in a trailer for this show. Dude, I'm not even like remotely focused on episode 15. We're like on episode five, for instance. And then now you've got to like cherry pick these couple of shots from episode 15, somehow wrangle that into your schedule while also not impeding your episode five. So that happens a lot too. What's really cool about marketing is sometimes you'll get shots that people see in a trailer and then they see it in the show and it's a completely different shot. Like it looks vastly different. And that's because a lot of times these marketing shots, they get maybe 75%, 80% of the way done. And that's good enough for a trailer, like a teaser. And then they really finesse it, make it look beautiful for the actual show. And the perfect example of this was for Justice League, that whole third act, that big battle sequence, the sky is bright red. And the initial takes of that, it was dark blue in the Snyder Cut. So there's actually trailers, early trailers of Justice League prior to the Snyder Cut release that just happened. But there were trailers initially for Justice League that had Aquaman flying through the sky and lightning and landing on the Batmobile. And it's all dark blue sky. And then later, as it shows up now that they've done all the reshoots, now that Whedon's involved and everything, they've retweaked it. You're seeing those exact same shots in the trailer, but now the sky's red. Vast changes. So that's an obvious one. They're not always that obvious, but it can be something as obvious obvious is that it's crazy who do you communicate with the director you're communicating with one of the producers who do you speak with the client side let's say sony or disney or whatever they've got their own management team so they've got their own vfx producer like myself their own vfx supervisor and the supervisor is in charge of the artistic vision making sure that whatever the director wants that artistically is happening and managing the artist and make sure that they have their creative notes and that creative vision whereas a producer it's more budgetary scheduling managing the artist from more of a business mindset and making sure the schedules are being met making sure that obviously we're not going over budget keeping track of that if we do and then the relationship with the client the supervisor's phone's probably not getting blown up as much as mine might be i take that on so that the supervisor can focus on the art of it all they have the same team over there client side so you would be interacting with the supervisor and the producer for the client definitely going to be in meetings with the director with potential producers like the actual producer or executive producers of the film might get involved and then if you're on a tv show and you're in production and we're on set for it because a lot of times you'll have a supervisor that's actually physically on set to kind of help guide them 
through visual effects shots that they're doing to make sure that they film it properly so that they get what the desired effect is. Then you're in pre-production and production meetings as well. I've been on some episodics where I'm literally in production meetings three out of five of my days and those meetings could last as long as four hours and you're in there with like props and costumes and practical effects, locations, and everyone's got something to say and then it gets the visual effects. You say your five to ten minute speech and then now everyone else got their five to ten minutes. So you can be in all kinds of meetings. It's crazy. Primarily you deal with the client side VFX supervisor, producer, as well as a director of the film or TV project. What's your kind of turnaround that you get? Now I know this is a rush project for a film or for an episode. Are you two episodes ahead of what the release is? Are you in a totally different schedule than that? Ideal situation is, yeah, you're ahead of schedule. And then there can be some projects that you work on that just last a really long time due to unforeseen situations, literally like Orville. I worked on Orville almost three years ago as a coordinator. As That season I worked on is just now coming out. Check it out, Orville season three. So there's definitely situations like that. But again, that's more act of God pandemic happened in there and that definitely derailed things. And they did a fantastic job adapting to that, as did the whole industry. In television, your turnaround times are going to be a little snap. You get to a point where like you're literally delivering an episode every week. Every other week, you're delivering it. When I say like Star Trek Picard was 1,200 shots, well, that was across the entirety of the season. So it's not like we had 1,200 shots to do for one episode. Could have been like 100 shots to do for one episode and maybe only 30 for this episode. They vary in complexity and just in general quantity of the work. But it is usually a snappier timetable that does unfortunately make the work sometimes not look as good. I've been very fortunate on all the shows I've worked on where we were given enough time time or budget to really make them look cinema quality and that's definitely kind of become the more of a norm nowadays especially when you're working on like netflix shows shows for apple they have a lot of budget and they want their stuff to look as good as possible and it's not that the other studios don't want their work to look good it's just the constraints of like this is the budget we have if we want to make this show we got to make it for this much money otherwise it doesn't get made at all so compromises yeah it can be tight but i mean i've definitely delivered an episode like i've delivered shots for an episode at like three in the morning and the episode aired that night technically so it's been that down to the wire film's a little different especially if you're doing a film it's kind of gone away the 3d movies and theaters but that used to kind of give you a grace period of at least a minimum of two weeks before it released because anything that you did would then have to go through the stereoscopic process where they actually make your 2d footage into 3d so that would buy you some time but even then we'd cut it really close to theater release yeah, it's been wild. So on the one hand, you can have really tight deadlines on a good way. You're like three episodes ahead of schedule. Ideally, you wrap your show, you're done on the final episode, and then your episode doesn't air for like three weeks. That's an ideal situation. And you aim for that. And a lot of times it is like that. It's not always crazy. Or it just gets dragged out. And you work on a movie for like two, three years because it just it goes from one studio to another studio or gets bought by a different place or you know anything can happen. Well, you keep referring to your team, I guess, as artists. Are we calling them artists because it's kind of like an animation, but it's not animated, but that's sort of what they're doing? Are they actually drawing the explosion? Or It's an art form, for sure. I mean, obviously, it's digital, and I think that that can be very confusing to people that just like film, but they don't understand certain processes of it. Explosions and dust storms and tornadoes and wind and waves all these crazy things again we're really kind of focusing in on the effects department but these are all simulations so there is a mathematical aspect to these and i can't really talk 100 to these i'm a producer i'm not the one that's actually doing these but they're simulations that are based on physics so they would get a model of a building that they're going to destroy and then type in their calculations work with the software really try to get a good physics system in place so that like this is what would happen if this building actually collapsed and then they are able to actually simulate 
manipulate that. And so now this it would crumble like this. Well, what if it was like this amount of pressure and then this, and then now it crumbles differently. Same with fire. And all of this has to then get rendered out. So there is a lot of mathematical aspects to it too. For models, for sure. I mean, you're taking a photo of something, be it a person or be it a character, especially like in your full CG animation, DreamWorks and Pixar. Here's a drawing of a character. Now make this a digital three-dimensional thing that you can then put bones into. Truly what happened, if you went through the pipeline, let's go through that real quick. You've got a drawing of this really cool character. We need to animate this character. We need to put her into scenes. And so now a modeler is going to take those drawings or they're going to make a 3D model of this person, almost like a sculpture that you would out of clay, but digitally. It looks like them kind of, but it's just a gray model. And then now a texture artist has to come in there. And oftentimes it literally is like digital painting. You've got tablets all over the place somewhere where you can literally draw onto 3D models. You're painting all the textures, all the cloth, doing all the texture sims of like, this is the kind of shirt that it's wearing. You're working on the skin textures. This is the kind of luminescence that would come off the skin if a light hits it, just like real skin. It really gets to that type of nuance or level of detail once the texture is all done for that character then a rigger comes in and that rigger has to literally put the bones if you will into the body so right now it's just skin and it's not going to do anything so you got to actually put the bones to a degree and in some cases literal bones if you look at stuff on like lion king there are like full bone systems that would mimic what an actual lion looks like with muscles with skin that's all working in unison so as an animator is moving the legs the actual muscles themselves are moving how they normally would it can get to that level of detail it's crazy so rigor is rigging all of that once that's done that allows the animator now to be able to animate because the rig is there the bones are there those bones have controls so now they can move everything down to the fingertips if there's hair that could go to effects or uh, hair and creature effects where they actually do the hair so it reacts how it would against simulations as the character's moving the hair moves a certain way and then now it's getting put into a scene the lighters would light that scene put in like the sunlight or the different lights in a room so that it looks like an actual scene again you would have had models and texture artists doing the actual environment that this character's going into once all that's done then it would go to a compositor whose job if it's a full CG is really to add that cinema quality, the defocus, the extra camera effects to make it look as though it's filmed to a degree and layer everything in together so that now you finally have all the puzzle pieces. Now they all come together to make art, hopefully. So that's a full CG pipeline. And it's similar for live action. If you were doing that for like a car, you had to put into a real scene. You would do all the same things. You would rig it too so you could animate it. And then you would put it into an actual like plate, an actual shot that you have, actual footage. And that's even trickier because then now the lighter has to match the actual lighting of the actual actual set of the day and make sure that it all works together so that that's a whole other bag it's a lot of work it's really cool though you see some stuff you're just like oh my god working on winning time was a real treat for me i worked on like the first five episodes of that show on hbo and you'll see it in the behind the scenes if you follow their instagram account they just had one arena like just one court and then they had maybe three to five rows of bleachers and the rest was just green screen we're filming in boston we're filming in philadelphia we're supposed to be in los angeles at the forum we're supposed to be san diego like all these different arenas but it's all just the same court that then we digitally made all these arenas and then we had to fill in all the crowds to make it look like there's audience in there it's just wild and when you watch that show no one thinks that they're not actually in an arena and those aren't real people in the crowd can you usually spot this stuff right away or do you actually look for it so that's why you could spot it that's the one thing they don't warn you about when you get into this business is like you cannot watch TV and movie the same ever again. Like you're always going to notice it. And I always give people the benefit of the doubt because I've been under the gun of a, a rough deadline. Crunch time's a real thing. It's usually like the last month to two to three weeks of the production where you're trying to hit that deadline. Everyone's working crazy hours. You're trying to get the best that you can. But like all good art, it's never that you made bad art. It's just you ran out of time. So I always give them the benefit of the doubt for that because I've been in those situations. But yes, 100% you see it and you're like, oh man. 
man, I would have done that differently. Or, oh, you know, I wonder if there was a budget reason or maybe they just, this was a last minute thing. Like, oh yeah, you see it all the time. And then there's some that you'll watch a breakdown or you'll see a magazine piece about it. Like I had no, like Logan really surprised me. Some of the head replacement stuff on that. I'm like, that was right in front of camera. We're at a really great place right now in visual effects. We're able to get a fidelity that's really believable. Logan was not at that time. I mean, yes, visual effects looked really good at that time, but to have like a full head replacement of a stunt driver right in front of the camera, I mean, it's bold, very bold. And I never noticed it. And I was in the business. Wow. Let's say, for example, okay, so even for something like that, or like you mentioned the street signs, that it's 1990s, they were lit differently. You can't just fix up one and then like apply all. You have to like freeze everything and then you're literally going. Yeah, I mean, you'll set a look. So a lot of times a senior artist will take on a shot. They'll finish the shot. This is what we're going for. That'll then go up the chain with the producers and the directors of the film or TV show. And they'll be like, I love this. I love this. You know what? I don't like this. I don't know what you were thinking here. You need to change that. We'll change it. Do all that. Once we finally get something that everybody loves then that's now the established look the hero shot if you will mid to junior artists can then replicate that on all their shots and they can kind of copy and paste some of those aspects of that shot into their own but yeah ultimately yeah every sign has to get touched up every sign is different you have to account for the camera itself if the camera is driving down the road and you have signs coming you have to track that camera's movement so that you can then track in the actual sign that you're replacing and then period films especially 90s is one thing there's a lot of liberties you can take with the 90s but then you do something that's like in the 20s for instance and it's like dude all these cars definitely did not exist these phone booths which now are few and far between not as big of a problem nowadays they didn't exist in the 20s certain street lights even like the traffic lights you had to remove all of it and then usually replace it with something so it can get pretty extensive wow the only thing i'm thinking of is photoshopping an image or something so you got your adobe photoshop or something and you have to layer and you layer and that's how you finally get what you want so you're kind of doing that for film but with with moving images. Yeah, I used to always wow. joke that that was kind of like the job of a compositor, which is what I used to do because I was that that last step of the pipeline we went through when you get all the pieces and now you got to put it into the actual footage and make it look like we actually filmed it for real. It's like that, but it's moving images. And it's crazy because we go by frames. You know, an average shot would be anywhere between like 80 to 120 frames. And then you would divide that by 24 frames a second. So 120 frames would be five seconds. Which, when you think about the amount of work sometimes that goes into five <laughs> seconds of footage on our end, we could have been working on a shot for literally four weeks, and that shot is five seconds of film. It really blows your mind sometimes. You're like, man, but damn if that explosion does not look amazing, right? Or, oh, that car looks great, or whatever. And that's the best case scenario. There's so many shots that are like literally three seconds long, two seconds Whoa. long, and then you spent like two weeks on it. That's like the original animation where they have to draw every single thing, and then it's kind of like the flip book kind of look. That's kind of what you guys do, but like... Yeah, and oh that animation still exists. Obviously, you have that motion animation, of course. But then even now in digital animation, there's still keyframe animation that has that spirit of this is this pose, this is this pose, this is this pose, and then you do all the in-between to make everything smooth, but it still exists. Well, anything that you're sent is for sure going to make it in. Or do they sometimes send you something to work on that might get cut? The cuts have already happened or the cuts haven't happened yet? That would incur what we like to call as producers cost to dates. It happens all the time because really it can be up to like two to three months out from a film being released that they haven't even locked the edit. So you could be working on shots that then they go, oh, you know, I hate to do it to you, man. But you know that really cool shot you're working on that everybody loves? Like, yes. Like, yeah, it's not in the edit anymore. And we've got these new shots you got to do instead. And you're like, oh, great. You know, learning experience right you try
try to take whatever you did on that, put it in the next shot. But we still get paid for that. We would be like, all right, well, we were like 75% done with this shot. So you guys owe us 75% of what we were going to charge you for that. That's a common thing in the business. Again, cost a date. So you do get paid for it, but it's nevertheless, it's always frustrating for the artist. Like I work so much overtime for this shot and it's not even in it. It happens. It's always a tough conversation to have with an artist as a producer. Be like, look, I know you love that shot. I love that shot and I love it for you. But unfortunately, it's not the edit anymore, man. Like what? Oh no. Try to tell them that early in the day, not at like midnight because that's rough. Here's some whiskey. Kidding. Uh, Is there a lot of research that has to be done by these artists or by anybody who's making the looks down? Yeah, sometimes a VFX supervisor for the client, for Marvel or whatever, will give you kind of like what they're going for, and they'll give you kind of a lookbook. We're kind of going for this look. Winning Time was a good example of that, because if you've seen the show, they really try to nail not only the period, but also the aesthetic of film during that time. So everything looks as though not only is it taking place in the early 80s, late 70s, but was actually filmed in the late 70s, early 80s. So that's a whole other nuance that you have to think about, too, and lighting certain things, how that would affect the camera. Do you get that, too? But sometimes you get like an f-16 you're like yeah we really like this f-16 you're like cool do you have a certain kind of f-16 you're like eh, give us some ideas and so you'll go through actual f-16s and some of the designs some of the the labels that they would do so even down to like the rivet patterns that are on these f-16s you'll give them some ideas a collaboration with the client and once they figure that out then you give all that information to the artist and then they make an f-16 to those specifications well visual effects people then just have like a random collection of knowledge then yeah for sure we definitely start to acquire like every studio has like an, an obnoxious amount of assets that they've worked on throughout the time that some of them that they're able to license for themselves and keep after a project for sure everyone's got like a tree library like oh you need a tree i got like these thousand trees over here oh you need palm trees i got another 500 palm trees over here like that's a little exaggerated but definitely there is that or even cars like yeah i got some you know lower end cars like low low poly that won't be too big on the scene we could do got some really high-end stuff over here that you could use there's definitely a lot of rinse and repeat for sure or just tweaking it you know making it unique for the show but yeah that definitely is a thing for sure if your team is on set they're not doing anything to the shop then it's more about let me rephrase that so the only people that would be on set would be the vfx supervisor maybe a data wrangler who's kind of helping manage all the vfx like shot numbers and the data that comes with that and then some cases the producer so like for me when i'm on set i'm on set for usually like the first week or two weeks of production and that's really just to kind of interact with the client help out with any production needs that are needed on set from a vfx side of things and it's also really to establish that relationship i mean you're dealing with multi-million dollar contracts and these could be people that you just met. So being able to meet in person, take people out to dinner, converse with them in person, face to face can be really relieving. You're like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. Definitely want to pay this guy a bunch of money to do the work on this. So that can be really great. So it really just be like those core people. The actual artists themselves, they always work in the studio. And sometimes they'll get taken out to set as a data wrangler if they're interested in set experience. And that can be an option for them. And we'll train them up to like figure out like, okay, these are things you need to keep in mind when you're on set. These are things that we're going to need you to help out with. And then they kind of get that set experience but usually it's just a supervisor and a data wrangler small team a lot of responsibility though yeah this goes all the way back did you always want to work in film or it's only because you sort of fell into that you ended up being here when i was younger i saw the movie a nightmare before christmas and i was like i want to be an animator this is amazing i love this This it's so cool literally went to visual effects school and one of the courses i had to take was animation and unfortunately not my strongest class as much as i wanted it to be it was not but i loved it but there just wasn't as many jobs and so i kind of fell into compositing but yeah i always wanted to do it when i was in high school i went to a school called evit east valley institute of technology which was super awesome half the day you went to high school the other half of the day you got to work on a computer with a bunch of other cool people and literally make movies and model stuff in 3D and like learn all this cool stuff at a young age. But yeah, I didn't get into it until later. 
I think I just thought it was like too risky. I, I think that happens to a lot of us. We're like, oh, well, this job is paying the bills and it's not exactly what I want to do, but I don't hate it. And you kind of fall into this rut, not to say that you're settling, but it, it kind of happens. It happens to all of us. And I think sometimes you got to just really go for it to not quote the younger generation of the YOLO, but you do really only get one turn around, you know, the world. Oh, and do you want to live it with regret or do you want to at least go for it? And I think there's also people get aged out. They're like, oh, dude, I'm like, 35 i'm gonna get in the film now like that's i'm like dude you could do this like legit you could do this i think money is a big concern for a lot of people i totally get that but like as a visual effects artist and this is kind of i won't specify the locations i was at starting out yeah it's tough man like uh, when i lived in vancouver i made like thirty thousand a year u.s and that's an expensive city like arguably up there with la i had like a 360 square foot studio apartment and no car like I, it was crazy my bed literally folded into a wall but i loved it man i was doing what i wanted to do and I worked so much overtime I probably ended up making like 45 50,000 that year but you know literally within like two years I was making like 55 60,000 a year there's not a lot of jobs where you could literally double your pay within a year or two you know obviously now I'm not specific to any one studio but my rate is six figures I've been doing this now for over six years going on seven years to go from like 30,000 to over six figures that's really fast so the money's there if you're willing to put in the time, but it is hard. I moved a lot, as you could hear in my journey. Being in a relationship, that's challenging. One of my best friends, shout out to Brad, also in the business, and he got married in college when we were at Dave's school, and then he moved to Canada with his wife. Then they ended up having a family, and it's like, that's insane to me, but he made it work, you know, and he's got a great support system. His wife's amazing. His kids are fantastic. They made it work. So, I mean, it, even in that case, it's still doable. But yeah, it's challenging, but anything worth doing is going to be hard, right? I really wanted to rant there. But do things, man. Like, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, to quote the great one. Yeah. I want to ask more questions, but I almost want to leave on such a good uplift. Now you had the pep talk. I can always come back later. Is there anything that you do want to ask before we wrap up, though? I want to ask about everything. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll just, we'll wrap up here with that. We wrap up with the, uh, I really like it when, and then using, if you want to put in a visual effects thing, you could also, but anything story kind of related. So it could be a show, it could be a writer or editor or producer or director or anything, anything remotely, you can do poster art, anything related, really like X and I really don't like X. I'm going to flip it upside down. We're going to start with, I really don't like, and then end with, I really like keeping that ending with positivity. I really don't like it when people are super negative. They want to crush people's dreams. I really hate that. Genuinely, if you have a passion for something, as long as it's not going to end in someone being murdered or any other kind of terrible thing, then go for it. Don't let other people's opinions of you affect you. However, on the same vein of I really don't like when people try to squash people's dreams, I really love it when they try with me because I'm one of those people that use that as fuel. I love the comment that I got so much when I was trying to get in this business, which was, well, at least you have an associate's degree to fall back on. Well, at least you got these things you could do like i was working in the business for like two years i had literally worked on like justice league and like 50 shades freed not one of my you know it's a cool movie not one i thought i'd work on but you know it was a popular movie and i still had people be like well at least he had an associate's degree i'm like dude i'm literally working like i haven't lost a job like a working actor i keep working like yeah okay honestly it was probably three years in that people finally were like oh it's great that you're in the business that's so cool so there's a lot of naysayers the naysayers i don't like naysayers there you go but i love them at the same time because then like when you are successful those are the people that come out of the woodwork like i always knew that you of all people would work out or whatever but you know it fuels you it gives you drive like you know what screw those guys we got this we can do this amen very very good zach thank you it was a lot of fun speaking with you thank you so much and a lot of fun talking with you this was a bonus episode of oh my word podcast featuring film and tv producer zach hamilton to find out more about zach and his work please visit the link in the episode notes 
To find out more about Oh My Word Podcast and keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word Podcast or check us out at eltenenbaum.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thanks so much for joining us. Catch you next time.